So here, Micaiah is standing against these 400 prophets, standing against this ungodly king, and little did Ahab know that this was God's last intervention in his life before his life would be taken. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob begins to finalize the book of 1 Kings by reviewing the final chapter. We continue our study in this chapter just when Ahab and Jehoshaphat are seeking the Lord's direction in an effort to take Ramoth Gilead from the hands of the king of Syria. However, Ahab hated the prophet Micaiah because of the message. As we learn, his real conflict was with God, but he focused his hatred against the prophet Micaiah. Yet, he was willing to listen to the king of Judah when he advised that Ahab should listen to the prophet Micaiah. This was truly the final message from God to King Ahab prior to his death. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Again, glad you could join us tonight. Uh, We're going to take communion this evening, and we have a pretty lengthy chapter to finish up. It's the very last chapter in 1 Kings, and so what I'd like to do is let's just pray, and we're going to get right into it, because we've got a lot to cover, and then we'll, uh, we'll break bread together. Lord, we come before you again, Lord, and just, uh, Lord, ask that you'd open our hearts Lord, there's so many things, Lord, as we read through your word, Lord, that just challenge us. And Lord, whether they're the lives of of sinners or the lives of saints, Lord, they all uh, mean something to us, Lord. It's either a warning or an encouragement or, Lord, you've you've got something for all of us. And Lord, the, the lessons in the lives of each of these groups of people all throughout history, Lord, is something to be looked at and to be learning from. And so, Lord, help us to be in that mode tonight where we would just learn from you, Holy Spirit. Lord, as you open your word to us, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 22. We're going to finish the chapter tonight. We're just going to get right into it. It says, Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. And then it came to pass... In the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And it's really interesting that Jehoshaphat would go and visit Ahab because we know that Jehoshaphat was one of these reformer kings. And Israel, or Judah, excuse me, only had like eight really good kings. All of, all of Israel, the northern ten tribes, every one of them were evil, but there were only a handful in the, northern, in the southern two tribes known as Judah. 
There were only a handful that were good. And Asa was a good king, and certainly Jehoshaphat was a good king. But I do find it interesting that even though he, the, the Bible, the Spirit of God, has some good things to say about Jehoshaphat, we'll also see later on that there's some correction too. And I like that because there's always things that God, can, God wants to do in us. Uh, Ed, can we turn that down just a smidgen, just a smidgen? That would help, yeah. And so Jehoshaphat, this good king, is now going to go visit this very evil king. And perhaps he's going to visit Ahab in the hopes that maybe Elijah's word of judgment from God had changed Ahab's heart. Because remember, prior to what we're reading now, the prophet Elijah had come to Ahab and told him, just turn back a page and look at uh, chapter 21, and we're just going to read verses 20 through 29, because this is the judgment that God is going to bring upon Ahab, a very evil king. And yet, after this, we're going to find that Jehoshaphat's going to come and visit him. And it's kind of an interesting thing. Why would he do that? But let's read what God had said to Ahab for all of his idolatry, for all of the evil things that he did. It says that Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? And Elijah answered and says, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you and here is where the hammer falls. I will bring calamity on you. And this is the Lord speaking through Elijah. I will take away your posterity, and I will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And it gets even worse, because he speaks this word to Ahab, and now God is going to speak to his wife Jezebel. And concerning Jezebel, verse 23, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was none like Ahab, it says in verse 25, who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up And he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And so it was, when Ahab heard these words, that he tore his clothes and he put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring calamity on his house. So God even saw something, some humility in Ahab. And God was willing to work with that. And I love that about God. And he's the same yesterday, today, forever. You know, regardless of how wicked a person is, regardless of how far you've gone, if you have a glimmer, if you have a spark of, of humility in your heart. God wants to work on that part because what does the scripture say? A, a, a bruised reed he will not break. You know, if you've seen a reed and, and it's like a, a, a plant there in the water, usually close to the, 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 
you know, the edge of a water, and if it's kind of leaning over like that, and it's kind of bruised right where it's bending, God is not going to come and just cut the thing off. A bruised reed, he's not going to break, and a smoking flax, he's not going to pour water on it. What is he going to do? He sees a little bit of flame, he's going he's to blow on it, and he's going to encourage it to grow into a greater fire. And it really just speaks of this, the holiness of God, the Spirit of God working in us. And that's what he wants to do. He even wanted to do it with Ahab. But there is, and this is the scary part about our, um, our responsibility before God. There's a point for every person where they cross the Rubicon. <laughs> and I don't know what that point is for my own life, and I don't know what that is, what that 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 line of demarcation is for your life either only god knows how much he's going to do before he drops the hammer and he did this with ahab he gave him plenty of opportunity as we've been going throughout elijah and ahab's relationship and their life and their ministry as as elijah's been ministering at different times to ahab it's very evident to me you know that god is still working and he's going to do that in our hearts as well but we certainly don't know the reason for Jehoshaphat visiting with Ahab. And, you know, normally whenever there is hope, there is a hope for repentance. And, and maybe Elijah um, or, or the, uh, maybe Jehoshaphat uh, heard of what was spoken to Ahab. And, and maybe he was thinking that maybe there's a glimmer of hope of repentance. And whenever we see that in the life of someone else, we should pursue that and encourage that, certainly. Um, but, but it wasn't so with Ahab, because um, Jehoshaphat should never have engaged himself with this evil man. God never sanctioned it. God never told him to go down and visit him. In Proverbs chapter 11, you might want to write this in the margin of your of verse of the verse there because Proverbs 11 beginning in verse 18 I believe this really reveals the difference between Ahab and Jehoshaphat and let me just read it to you beginning in verse 18 it says the wicked man does deceptive work but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward and as righteousness leads to life so he who pursues evil uh, he who who he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death, and so far, if you're tracking with me, the difference between an evil man and a righteous man, we can really plug these into the life of Jehoshaphat and Ahab pretty well. Those who are of a perverse heart, it says in verse twenty, are an abomination to the Lord. But the blameless in their ways. But the blameless in their ways are his delight. And then finally, verse 21 of Proverbs 11, it says, Though they join in forces, and we're going to see this shortly, that these two men who should have never have been confederate with one another, they are going to join forces to battle a common enemy, even though God didn't ask Jehoshaphat to align himself with Ahab. It says, Though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished, and we're certainly going to see that in the life of Ahab and alternately, but the, pos- the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. And we're going to see Jehoshaphat being delivered from what would seem like a certain death. And this is what is very interesting as we get into it. And so uh, look at verse 3 now back in our text. It says, And the king of Israel said to his servants, So Jehoshaphat comes down, 
uh, from Judah. And when you come down from Judah, when you come down from Jerusalem, even though he's going north to the, the northern tribes, you're always going down. <laughs> because you're, you're always going down from a place of elevation. Even though you're going north, and you would think, well, if you're looking at a map, you're going up. But you're really going down, because in, uh, Jerusalem is, uh, is on top of Mount Moriah. And wherever you go from Jerusalem, you're going down, whether you're going north, south, east, or west. So he goes down, um, he says, Do you, and, and then he comes down to Ahab and, and with his army, And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you not know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, but we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Ramoth Gilead was to the east of the Jordan River. If you were to look at a map of Israel, and you have the Sea of Galilee, and then you have the Jordan River, and then the Dead Sea, well, over on the eastern side, somewhere in the northern part over here, is Ramoth Gilead. And of course, it's close to Syria, and so naturally Syria would take control over that, and so that's what Ahab is thinking. This city is one of our cities, so let's go up and take possession of it because right now it's in Syria's hands. We want to get it out of his hands and bring it back to ourselves. But he was a little timid, perhaps maybe he didn't think he had enough manpower. So now when Jehoshaphat comes down, he says to him, verse 4, so he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat says something really interesting. He says, I am as you are in my my people as your people, and my horses as your horses. Hmm. Very interesting. It's interesting because neither of these two kings should have horses at all. What do you mean? Everyone else has horses. Why not them? Well, Deuteronomy tells us. It says when in Deuteronomy 17, beginning in verse 14, you might want to write that down. Begins Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. We'll look and notice what it says. This is Moses and God speaking through him to the children of Israel before they would actually cross over into the promised land, hundreds of years prior to what we're looking at tonight. He says, When you come into the land your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But notice verse 16. But he shall not multiply horses for himself nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Isn't that exactly what Solomon did? Isn't that exactly what got Solomon into all the trouble that he got into? Wasn't it the result of his, the wisest man in the world? This is really interesting. Even the wisest man in the world can slip up and and get into an area of unbelief. And you know, maybe it was because everything had been given to him. His dad, David, had provided all of the materials for the temple. He was literally born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He didn't see any war all of his days. So it was a very easy time, the golden era of Israel. It probably will never be that good when Solomon was reigning in his, in his early years. It probably won't be that good or nearly that good until Jesus returns in the millennial reign. Because ever since then, Israel has been at battle. They've been sold into slavery to their enemies. They've been taken captive. They've, they, and even today, they're, they're suffering untold things all over the world with all the anti-Semitism that's going around. 
But they weren't supposed to multiply horses for themselves because God wanted to get the glory. God was able to deliver them, whether with many or with few. He went against the Amalekites with only 300 men from Gideon. And there were thousands, thousands of of Amalekites. And God says, I'm going to deliver, or the Midianites, I think they were. Uh, You know, God can deliver with few or many. It's not a big deal to him. It's all about faith and our relationship with him. But no, we've got to have horses because everybody else does. And I can understand the pull of that in the natural, can't you? (laughs) When your enemy has horses and chariots, you're thinking, man, we need a bigger gun. We need something new. We need something, we need some, we need a laser from outer space. That'll do it. And God says, I'm I'm better than that laser in outer space. Thank you very much. I don't even need a laser. I don't need any of that. I can confuse the enemy and they'll kill themselves. And you can go in and pick up the spoil. But notice that the only real advantage it was for Jehoshaphat to, to go down and to be confederate with Ahab, the only benefit for him at all was that it would keep the enemy north of him. Because Judah was here, Israel was here, and Syria was over here. So maybe Jehoshaphat is thinking to himself, well, this is a battle I can get into because if I can keep uh, Syria off of our brother's Uh, back door here. If I can keep them from invading the northern tribes, then I'm going to be that much more sheltered. Maybe that's what he was thinking. Maybe he was, he had a soft heart. Maybe he just wanted to be pals with Ahab. I don't really know. So verse 5, so Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please notice the wisdom of Jehoshaphat. Inquire of the Lord, the word of the Lord today. And then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and he said to them, sure, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight or shall I refrain? And so they said, go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So all 400 of these prophets are saying the same thing. And remember, these weren't godly prophets. These were false prophets. These weren't men of God. They were men on Ahab's payroll so that when they prophesied, you can see that they're always looking at the king's face, you know, trying to figure out what exactly he wants. And they're like, the Lord wants to do this, and the Lord's going to do that. And then Ahab's going, yeah, I like that. That's what he's going to do. And, you know, they're just yes men. They're just yes men, just trying to please the one who's paying them And they said, go up. The Lord will deliver uh, Syria into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat, verse 7, said, Is there not still a prophet of Jehovah here that we may inquire of him? And I, I love the discernment of Jehoshaphat because he knew that these 400 prophets were not prophets of the Lord, but they were false prophets. And this really, if you think about it, was a show of no confidence in Ahab or his prophets. For Jehoshaphat, and this is one of the things God, why God could probably use a man like Jehoshaphat, because he wasn't afraid to stand up to Ahab, and, and, and the relationship must have been really strange because it doesn't appear to have affected Ahab's attitude toward Jehoshaphat. Can you see that picture? He's got these 400 false prophets telling him what he wants to know, and Jehoshaphat is saying, isn't there a prophet of Jehovah still here? And Ahab's got to be wondering to himself, what do you mean? i got 400 guys right here, and they're, they're all dressed up in white and linen. Look at them. They're beautiful. They're on my payroll. What's wrong with them? A prophet of Jehovah. 
Big difference. And so, hmm. So the king of Israel, verse 8, said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. Now, the emphasis is mine. But I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. I really wonder how he said that. Because if he said it like I did, you almost wonder if there was a little bit of understanding in Jehoshaphat's heart that, you know, you're being played, Ahab. You don't understand who you've got working for you. And isn't it true that it's often one man or a remnant of the minority that is godly and obedient? Might does not make right. The mass mob isn't right most of the time. If not most of the time, they are wrong. It's usually the one man or the small group of people that God loves to use and be glorified in. That's why we don't have to worry about being huge. The church doesn't have to be huge to change this world upside down. God used 12 men. He used 12 men to turn the world right side up again because it was upside down. And how much can God use Christians in America to turn our country around? Oh my goodness, he could do it. But are we willing to submit to him? Are we willing to examine our own hearts? Are we willing to repent of our sin? Are we willing to be vocal, lovingly vocal? Are we willing to be submitted to Christ? Or are we going to go along with all the shades of the world? And folks, we have to make that decision now. Because we're living in a time where we need to be sold out for Christ. And I would encourage you, if there's anything in your heart tonight that is not red hot. Would you ask God tonight in in your privacy when you go home and say, Lord, there's a lot of stuff in me that's just not right. There are things, there are uh, compartments within my heart that I'm not willing to let you take control of. I don't want you to see them, even though you can see them, I can't fool you. But there are areas in my heart that I'm just not willing to hand over the keys. And God is going, well, I want all of you because I want your life to be a blessing. Don't you want your life to be a blessing? Don't you want to please your Lord who saved you from an eternity of hell? I mean, think about it. When I think of it in that terms, I'm like, it blows my mind. I'm like, Lord, my very reasonable service is to glorify you. It's to give everything to you, my life to you. Whatever you want me to do, regardless of where I'm at, whether I'm in the workplace, whether I'm in full-time ministry, part-time ministry, or no ministry at all. Maybe you're just a, a, a housewife or you know, uh, whatever. Do it with the best of your ability and do it as unto him, wherever, whatever you're doing. Give it all to him and do it for his glory and have him give you the strength to do that one thing and do it for him. And those small things, God is like, oh my goodness. If I just had more people who would do the same. So here, Micaiah is standing against these 400 prophets, standing against this ungodly king, and little did Ahab know that this was God's last intervention in his life before his life would be taken. 
This was it. This was the last time that God was going to speak to Ahab, and, and he was using Micaiah. Notice in verse 9, it says, Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. So you can see it in Ahab's... I, I can already see his body language. Jehoshaphat's over there probably smiling, going, Okay, now you're really going to hear the truth. And Ahab's going, Yeah, I know I'm going to hear the truth now, and I'm not going to like it, because I hate that guy. Because he's always telling the truth. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.